John writes, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Well, if you have your Bibles open to the gospel text, I'm going to mess with things a little bit. and I'm going to go back and uh, be in the Ephesians text, our epistle for today to begin with. So allow me, dear saints, to begin by reflecting on the epistle reading from Ephesians 4. And there are two key themes in this passage. The first is the theme of Christian maturity. The second is born of the first, that being the theme of unity. And then we'll pull in the gospel reading from John 6 and how they all fit and mesh together. Now, as Christians, we are to become mature, says Paul. At our birth, we are born as human beings, an identity that we have since conception, an identity that we never lose. We never cease being human beings at any point in our lives. But in normal circumstances, we do not remain infants. 
we mature into adulthood. So it is in our lives as Christians, in our spiritual rebirth through water and the spirit, we become Christian, forgiven, washed, made holy and brought into God's kingdom as his saints through faith in Christ and his saving death and resurrection. But while our identity as God's forgiven children never changes, our Christian lives do. From the time of our spiritual rebirth, we have been brought to a journey during which, as Paul says today, we are to become mature, attaining to the, holy, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ and who he truly is. Sometimes when we think about maturing, we think of becoming greater, growing bigger, or perhaps reaching a particular point. We might think of skills that we have or areas of talent that we are good at. But today's text puts an altogether different emphasis on maturity in Christian faith and life. Paul indicates to us that we mature when we become less of ourselves and more like Christ. Now, Paul says in verse seven, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ has given us his grace. Now, grace is something that is undeserved. And what that means in the fullest sense is that we would never have any claim to the kingdom of heaven or the Christian life without Jesus and his work for us on the cross. Martin Luther died with a small note in his pocket that read, we are all beggars. And we are, we are complete beggars with nothing in our hands to bring to Jesus. And so near to the beginning of the divine service, that is God's service to us, we join with those mentioned in the Gospels. The blind men, the mother of a demon-possessed daughter, the father of a boy with seizures, and we call out, Lord, have mercy. Help me. In other words, we are saying, I can't do this by myself. I need you, Jesus. I am nothing without you. We need Christ. And without Jesus and his word, we would have no idea of who he truly is and no idea of our need for his saving grace and mercy. Therefore, because we are completely at the mercy of God and dependent on others, we need to have a right understanding of ourselves. We need to be humble. And humility is not being a martyr. It is not a low estimation of who we are, but it is a right estimation of exactly what we are. It's the kind of estimation that recognizes that 
while we are completely forgiven in Christ, completely righteous in Christ, completely holy in Christ, we are at the same time still sinners. We are broken people. We are dependent on others. We are dependent, dependent especially on God for every single breath that we take. And the opposite of this humility, well, it's pride. Pride gives us a distorted picture of ourselves and our lives and our need for others and for God. A prideful person can never be satisfied because they think themselves to be superior to others and are consumed with justifying themselves and being recognized for being better than others. In today's reading, Paul says to be completely humble. And being humble, on the other hand, means becoming less of ourselves and more like Christ. It means that I do not have the right to have my own way, but I have the privilege of serving others. And humility asks us, who needs my help today? Now, maturing in Christian faith and life means that rather than being defensive in the face of criticism, even the harshest of criticism that may be unwarranted, using such as an opportunity for inner reflection and self-examination and therefore growth. When we are completely convinced that we are right, it is mature to still seek out and to listen and to empathetically consider the wisdom of others through whom God speaks to us. Humility allows us to ask, who do I need to ask for help today? Then Paul says, be gentle and patient. These are among the fruits of the Spirit named in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Gentleness and patience, patience means becoming less of ourselves and more like Christ. It means forsaking and perceived right to speak harshly to someone when we are offended. It means seeing other people, not with our own eyes, but with the eyes of Christ. It means asking for God's strength before we open our mouths. It means praying for God's will, not ours, to be done. The call to patience in our text reminds me of an author, Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God. He writes, Why are not all prayers answered magically and instantly? Why must every convert travel the same tedious path of spiritual discipline? Because persistent prayer and fasting and study and meditation are designed primarily for our sakes, not for God's. And when we are humble, gentle and patient, we bear with one another in love. We forsake our perceived right to get even by going behind backs and undermining each other with judgmental comments. Instead, we seek reconciliation 
in a biblical way. By going to the person that we have an issue with and gently and calmly saying, I don't want to offend you, but I have a concern about what you said or what you did. Can we talk about it? I'd like to let you know exactly how I'm feeling. And when someone says that to us, it means that we should listen and ask for their forgiveness. We are to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. To endeavor. And that means to try very hard to do something. Endeavoring means to earnestly and industriously put forth the effort to attempt and to achieve something. It means to do one's utmost. And with this, we see the second main theme that Paul presents to us today. Maturity in Christian life and faith is to lead to unity in the church. All the hallmarks of Christian maturity, humility, gentleness, patience, love, are to lead to a life together as the body of believers. Paul teaches us that there's actually no such thing as a private faith between me and God. We are part of the one body with Christ as the head and everything that we do impacts others. And Paul says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It is in this body that each person in the church of Christ's gift Each person in the church is Christ's gift to the church. And elsewhere, such in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives examples of spiritual gifts as things. But here, it is the people. The one who ascended higher than all the heavens gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but all people with their works of serving are God's gifts to the church. He will build his church and he calls individuals as gifts to it. And when we talk about unity, we often, well, we think of ecumenical, an ecumenical level that is amongst the Christian denominations. And we are rightly concerned with how we can appropriately serve with one another in the community. But today, let's, let's drop that back to a very local level. So local that we think of those in the pews to the left and the right of us to the front and the back. How do we need to show Christian maturity to them? Being less of ourselves and more like Christ to them. Live a life then worthy of the calling that you received. 
And Paul exhorts us. This is the calling that you have received. Called to trust in the Savior Jesus Christ. Washed in the one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So that we can come before the Father in peace and joy as his children through Christ. And it is through Christ, Paul says in verse 16, that the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Before the Holy Spirit called us to faith, we used to be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. But now we are called to speak the truth in love and in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. Thank God that he has not abandoned his world, but is, but in Christ came into it and walked in our shoes as truly God with us. He knows what it means to be less of self. And in the sense that as the son of man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Philippians 2.8. Though perfectly innocent and righteous, Jesus took upon himself our sin on the cross so that having our sentence paid for, we could be in a relationship with God of the universe. This Jesus who descended to us at Bethlehem is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ himself. And that's an amazing hope, a new hope to which we have been called. It is our faith at work. And in today's Gospel reading from John 6. Jesus takes that and he says something pretty amazing. The work of God is this. To believe in the one that he has sent. Whoever believes in Jesus has everlasting life. And that's us, isn't it? We believe in Jesus, don't we? It sounds too good to be true just by believing that we have eternal life. And the Jews themselves tried to clarify with Jesus in this passage. They asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? That is, what will it take on our part to have eternal life? 
And Jesus, he comes back with a brilliant answer. The work of God is this. To believe in the one that he has sent. Simply by believing in Jesus, we have eternal life. It's too good to be true, yet it is true. And it's true for us, you and me. What a privilege it is to know this. To know this and to have faith and to be mature in it. Most of us know it so well that our eyes glaze over when we hear it again and again. It's all that we've ever known. Yet, how many don't know it? Or how many have let it go or left the faith or denied their faith? How many people doubt, I mean really doubt their salvation and the power of God? Yet this message is the very essence of what it means to be alive and mature. Jesus says it himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Spiritual fulfillment, the goal of millions of people worldwide. Wonderful, intelligent, well-meaning people. Well, it's ours right now. We know Christ. We have spiritual satisfaction because we regularly receive the sacraments. And whatever doubts and troubles that we may face, Jesus has made sure that we Well, we've never starved. We've never faded away. He's kept us going and our faith is alive because of him. But what an even greater privilege this is when we realize how we come to believe in Jesus and to know him. Now, after today's text, and we'll read it next week, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on it right here. In verse 44 of John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. The original Greek for the word draws can also mean to drag. It's questionable whether here in John 6 that there's a sense of magnetism or a gentle attraction. Rather, God has dragged us into a relationship with him. And Jesus told a parable about this very fact. He said, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of our age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 47 through 50. For we were once dead in our transgressions and unable to know Jesus by our own strength. And Luther explained this 
in this way in his explanation to the third article of the creed. I believe that I cannot, by my own understanding, come to Jesus Christ or to believe in him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and kept me in true faith. We might wonder why the rest of the world hasn't also been dragged in. But in our natural condition, we humans disbelieve and reject the message of salvation in Christ. It is by miraculous grace that the kingdom of God is constantly at work in the world. Like a great big troller dragging its net through the ocean and all sorts of fish are getting caught up in it to and pulled into the kingdom of God. Thank goodness that a Christian can name the exact date and place where the net dragged them securely into the catch of fish in the boat. That exact place and date is written on every Christian's certificate of baptism. And what we can confidently say is that we, we've been saved. We have eternal life. We know the bread of life and God decided that it would be that way. He dragged us in. God drew us. He hauled us. He lifted us up into a relationship with him. He dragged our hungry and frail bones to tables laden with bread. We have been brought to Jesus and allowed to feed on him. This is the food that strengthens us to do the work that God requires. To believe in Christ the one he has sent as the savior of the world. We know Christ. That is our spiritual maturity. That is our unity in the church. He performed these signs, these miracles and these wonders, not simply to feed us or the the 5,000 or to heal our bodies in this life, but so that we would know him and be mature in our faith, in our belief in him, our savior for eternal life. We are most definitely all beggars. And that gives me peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.